welcome back to another unacceptable uh, episode of the Burning Man Podcast. I'm Mel, your favorite big titty heathen. And I'm back your suave, smooth, spicy sickness. So, yes. since we signed the lease on our new apartment in Ooh. not Florida, okay, <laughs> uh, I can finally start looking for a job, you know? I'm sure you'll find one. You're a professional. Why do I feel like this is a trap? Professional dog bitch! There it is! Are you going to use me as a reference? Why would I take <laughs> any chance that I have by having you as a reference? Because I can say with great confidence that I have experienced your dumb bitchery, and you're indeed a professional. I am going to choke you. Anywho, I wanted to let everyone know that we have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash burning in 666 and you like what we do and you like to support us, we have different tiers. You can be a sinner. You can be a heathen, which is the most popular one. But if you want to get juicy, uh, start getting some swag, you can be a blasphemer. Blasphemer. But if you really like us more than we like ourselves, we will do shady things for you. <laughs> Mostly, it's the diabolical <laughs> level. So, patreon.com slash burning need in 666. And thank you to Do our it. supporters, which we will shout out at the end of the episode. Yes. Uh, yes, yes. But speaking of actual professionals, uh, on today's episode, <laughs> we have the absolute freaking pleasure uh, speaking with Andrew Seidel. Oh my God. Constitutional and civil rights attorney, <laughs> activist, and author. And just fucking badass. Yes. Oh, thank you. That's <laughs> awfully kind of you to say. It's a pleasure to be with you both. We copy pasted it from your website. That's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> and he fucking leaves. It's fine. Thank you. Thank you. God damn it. I hate you. Anyway, yes, thank you for well, being on our show. <laughs> well, the shirt, by the way. Bring on the matriarchy. We're ready yes. for it. Yes. I need yeah. Yeah. my body right now. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. All right. How are you doing over there in your neck of the woods? I'm doing well. I'm in lovely Madison, Wisconsin. Mm. I'm I'm enjoying life. I'm enjoying what is basically a calm before the storm, before the Supreme mm. Court mm. starts handing down some truly terrible opinions uh, in the next few weeks, which you know it's likely going to be June. So Oof. trying to rest up for some big fights ahead. Mm. Mm. Fighting the good fight. Well, we yes. would love to get to know you, but before we move on, do you know what time it is, Mel? What time is it, Beth? Well, it's time for... Per tradition, we would love the guest to read the Bible verse of the day. What do you have for us? So I wanted to read from Exodus 20 today. Okay. Uh, Exodus 20, some of your listeners may know, uh, contains what... what some people think of as the Ten Commandments, even though it doesn't actually refer to them as the Ten Commandments. And even though any given Bible contains four sets of Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 5, and Deuteronomy 27, but we'll just go with it and pretend that these are the ones. We're all pretending uh, here. We'll just the pretend. <laughs> so, you know, it begins, begins out, God said this, I'm the Lord your God, brought you out of Egypt, slavery, no other gods before me, don't make yourself an idol. And then he says this, 
You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, mm. punishing children for the iniquity of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. So this mm. is God in the Ten Commandments admitting that he is jealous mm -hmm. and promising to punish innocent children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren for their parents' sin mm. of freely exercising their religious beliefs or freedom. You know, basically one of the core fundamental rights protected under the American Constitution. And I wanted to read that because most people don't realize that's in the Ten Commandments. They don't realize that God admits he's jealous and promises to punish innocent children. And because right now, as we're talking, the Texas legislature is passing a bill, Senate Bill 1515, which will force every public school in the in the state to display the Ten Commandments in their public school classrooms. But now what? here's the fascinating mm. part. Here's the fascinating part. Mm. They The legislators wrote their own version of the Ten Commandments to go. Of course. And that's in the bill, right? Yes, Mel, appropriate response, right? So <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yes, exactly. That what I don't even know what to fucking say right now. <laughs> like, I mean, think about that. You have state legislators who only have secular power writing holy scripture, and not only writing it, but rewriting it because they right. conveniently omitted the scripture that I just read. Mm. They took out of their mm. version of the Ten Commandments, the punishing innocent children. I've never Which, seen that before, uh, Don. Christians it's... cherry picking. What? what? Cherry picking, rewriting. But the Rewr thing that, oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> the thing that the thing that I thought was really amazing about it is you had people who are who are testifying to support this bill. People like David Barton and his son, who are David Barton's like the granddaddy of American Christian nationalism. Like most of the bullshit myths you you have heard of mm -hmm. about the United States being founded as a Christian nation, you can trace back to David Barton. Ugh. Right? That he is the guy. He's been spreading myths and disinformation for like 50 years. And he testifies, his son testifies, and they talk about how the Ten Commandments are the basis of our morality. And that's why they need to be on the classroom walls. But it's like, okay, but if they're the basis of our morality, then why are you rewriting them? Hmm. And what morality are you using to extract these clearly immoral, punishing innocent children to the third and fourth generation? What, what morality stands apart and lets you judge the morality in the Ten Commandments? So they're disproving their own argument by writing this bill, which I thought was really interesting and fascinating yeah. um, and worth uh, a quick look today. Yeah. And I'm sad and depressed. <laughs> well, thanks for ruining the whole <laughs> show. Zubby <laughs> <laughs> Downer over Listen, here. Like, well, we're, we're, well, we're well, against Christian nationalism. I, Listen, if they if that bill does pass, uh, it'll likely it already passed the Senate. It's out mm. of the House committee, so it'll likely pass the House uh, before the end of May if it does. And if it does, stay tuned to Americans United for mm -hmm. the separation of church and state, AU.org. When that mm. bill passes, stay tuned. Mm. All I'll say for now. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. thank you for reading that amazing verse. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that one. The final verse of the day. Such family wholesome content right there, you know? <laughs> <And> children. <laughs>
But what about the children? That's that's what they always want to say. What about the children? Yes, exactly. What about the children, Jeremy? Anyway, um, we would love to get to know you a little bit better for those who don't know you, which is a, a crime. Um, we would love to get to know you, uh, your, like your, your religious background and how you got to like your atheism and yeah. what really set that off for you. Yeah, you know, I was never really religious. Mm, okay. I found myself very lucky. Um, you know, my my mom likes to tell the story of how I was kicked out of Sunday school theoretically for asking too many questions, but I mm -hmm. think she's embellishing a little bit there. Um, <laughs> I mean, really, I really what I remember is her encouraging me to explore. Mm -hmm. So I remember going to um, mass with a Catholic friend. Mm -hmm. um, I remember going to like, you know, a generic Protestant, whatever Christmas thing, actually vividly remember a lady who had like this was you know uh probably early 90s where like she had like this big kind of hairdo with a hairspray and i remember right. her, hair, her hair catching on fire when she, like, <laughs> she was fine and it was safe and it wasn't bad but like it's like one of those memories where you're like, like i don't have church trauma but like it like, but that's the a, like little bit that i do um, <laughs> Oh and, and I remember going to temple with with a Jewish friend, um, and my mom loves to tell this story that uh, when I went to his bar mitzvah later on when we were older, that I came back from that party and said that I wanted to be Jewish because it was the most fun party that I'd ever been to. Um, <laughs> but but it became clear to me, I think at an early age, that all of these different religions, and I think this was my mom's plan, were making. I, what I what I now would say are mutually exclusive truth claims, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's very clear that rather than them all being correct, it's more likely that they're none of them are correct, and that they're yeah, wrong. exactly. Um, and so, like that 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 became kind of to me, sort of um, I think clear relatively early on. Um, so I never really considered myself religious. I never really, thankfully, was never forced into anything with my yeah. my family um and then but i didn't start calling myself an atheist and start really getting into this until i was in law school and taking classes on the first amendment and recognizing that what what we now call christian nationalism white christian nationalism mm -hmm. is a threat to like every one of the issues that i care about to the people i love in this world to to the world itself like to the country itself and really decided that i wanted to dedicate my career and my life to fighting that existential threat to our republic so that's the that's the kind of the shortish version okay awesome thank you yeah um so another quick uh, question uh in your opinion how fucked are we as a country yeah yeah <laughs> this is um a popular question that i get asked and a lot of the talks that i give um can be as you pointed out earlier debbie downer-ish um you know my my new book like how the supreme american crusade how the supreme court is weaponizing religious freedom is all about how the supreme court is destroying this this fundamental right that we have and we've seen it do that with other rights and it's turning it into a tool of privilege but the reality is that that i actually have a lot of hope oh, for, for okay. our country um and and I mean, part part of the reason I have that hope, and this this is a little bit, it's a little bit to get to, but mm -hmm. but I, I think it's important. And yeah. the the first thing people have to understand is like, why are we seeing 
white Christian nationalists rage, rage against the dying of their privilege? Why are they, they on this crusade mm -hmm. to capture political power? And, and the, the answer to that is that what they are doing is largely a backlash against equality realized. And, and what I mean by that is that conservative, white, heterosexual Christian mm -hmm. men's status as the dominant group in this country is threatened. Mm -hmm. And it has been for some time, right? They're losing what they like to call the culture wars, which is, I think, a bullshit phrase mm -hmm. that is often meant to mask attacks on human rights, right? Their benighted ideas and their, their ideology are, are wildly unpopular. Right, like 70 to 80% of the country support abortion rights, 70 to 80% of the country support marriage equality, 70 to 80% of the country support separation of church and state. Those are all things they're looking to take away, right? Like 90 plus percent of the country support contraception, all things they want to take away. They are losing the privilege and the deference which they believe they are due. And we know that when a dominant group or a caste in a society feels mm -hmm. threatened, or feels left behind by circumstances that it reacts or it overreacts in ways to retain that status. And, and that is why we are seeing them turn to Christian nationalism. That's why we're seeing them turn to violent insurrection, to tearing down democratic norms, to these so-called strongmen like Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. That's why they're trying to weaponize religious freedom. Um, and they're trying to prevent us from realizing those aspirational ideals in statements like we the people and yeah. equal justice under law so mm -hmm. so that they really are raging against the dying of their privilege okay so well what the fuck andrew that's not very <laughs> not very helpful um but i but i do have hope and, and the mm -hmm. wellspring of my hope is is this basic definitional truth mm -hmm. right that their power hungry aggression is growing our movement because their wins Every time they win, their wins in the abortion case, mm -hmm. their wins in that case where the football coach imposed prayer on other people's children yep. at the 50 yard line. Right. Um, in, in all the cases that I talk about in American Crusade and the cases that I just mentioned that are going to come down this term, the 303 creative case, the Groff case, their wins swell our ranks. Effectively, they are creating a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. Because remember, why are they fighting this? They're losing their power and their privilege and deference. And a big chunk of that is due to demographics, mm -hmm. right? The white right. Christian nationalists are working to privilege the chosen few. So every legislative and legal victory that they notch alienates more people. And it wakes more people up to the danger and it drives more people away from their movement. So their power hungry aggression is growing our movement and like what we are doing mm -hmm. is is trying to to meet those unmet promises in the american declaration of independence and the u.s constitution mm -hmm. the self-evident truth that all people are equal that that we the people means all the people and as we continue to march toward that progress christian nationalists are fighting ever hard again harder against it they, they will not go gently they're going to rage, rage against the dying of their privilege. But in the end, we really are going to win because they're fighting only for themselves. And where they are selfish, we are selfless. They want supremacy. We want equality. And, and that is, in the end, why we will triumph. Not because mm -hmm. our principle is better than theirs. It is. <laughs> but really because math is on our side. We have the numbers.
And they, they know that and, and they're trying to capture democratic institutions and, and twist them to essentially enshrine minority rule, but they can only do that for so long. Right. Um, you, you can fight City Hall, but you can't fight math. And so I, I really do have a lot of hope. Um, math! It's going <laughs> yeah, to take a while, but, but we're going to win. Yeah, I, I can't wait for that day. Probably not in our generation, do you think? Like how like I know <laughs> well, it's that, tough to say, but like I mean that's a really good it's a really good question. It's a really good point because the I mean the other side played a long game. Like really like I right. mean they they spent forty years trying to undo Roe. They spent, you know, at least thirty years trying to capture the courts, right? Mm -hmm. Like they they this they didn't win overnight and, and we're not gonna undo the damage they've done overnight. Right, 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 right. And, and 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 the truth is, there is no silver bullet. Like, I, I there's no legal case that I can cook up. There's no brilliant legal argument I can derive from the Constitution or that I can concoct that is going to convince this Supreme Court and that's all of a sudden going to make us win. It's not never going to happen like that. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about is building power and building a movement and pushing back and working to undo what they've done. Um, I do think it will happen in our lifetimes. I do. I do. Okay. Think that. Um, awesome. But, I, but it's not going to be, it is not going to be an overnight thing. It's not mm -hmm. a one election thing. It's like, these are, this is a long, long mm -hmm. multi-year decade, at least fight. And people should yeah. prepare for that. Set your expectations accordingly. Yes. <laughs> now, when you talk about white Christian nationalism, perhaps there's people that don't really know the definition of what that is. So yeah. how, how do you define white Christian nationalism? White Christian nationalism is the idea that the United States was founded as a Christian nation, that we are based on mm. Judeo-Christian principles, mm -hmm. and most importantly, that we've strayed from that foundation, right? We, we've gotten away from our godly roots. Godly and so, <laughs> exactly. And so they use the language of return, of getting back to those godly roots, of getting back to our Christian founding to justify like all manner of hateful and evil public policy. And it's things like um, the family separation policy at the border. Mm. Like a lot of people forget that Jeff Sessions justified that by pointing to Romans 13, as did Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Um, oh my the, God. Mm. The, Muslim, the Muslim ban, right, is another really great example. And if you're, if you're like, well, what about the white, Andrew? Like, think about those two things a little bit longer and maybe right. it'll come to you. Um, mm. I mean, January 6th insurrection. Um, I mean, th this was fundamentally a white Christian nationalist attack on our democracy. Mm -hmm. And again, part of what they're trying to do is they're trying to solidify this minority rule. And it's not just for people who think the United States is a Christian nation. It's for conservative, white, heterosexual, cisgender Christian men. That, that is who is meant to be privileged under their new version of the right. law, right? That, that's the, Christ, the Christian nation is for them and not for mm -hmm. anybody else. In fact, we could say that um, one of the goals of white Christian nationalism is that that chosen group will be protected by the law, but not bound. And everybody uh -huh. else in the country is going to be bound by the law, but not protected. Okay. Interesting. <sighs> I hate it here. <laughs> <laughs> now, Listen, if you got out of Florida, you're doing better. Yeah, exactly. I, right? Ten more days, then I'm out. <laughs> Where are you That's going? That's fucking awesome. Uh, Colorado. So, so I thought, like, as long as yeah, I mean, yeah, as long as it's not like Texas, like you're. In no, oh my God. Yeah, uh, I love Colorado. Fantastic yes, it's fantastic. Can't wait. Yeah. And, during the convention when we when we met you, um, there was a lot of talk about the Supreme Court and the threat that it poses 
to society, right? I, I heard uh, Nick Fish talking about that, and I believe you were also speaking about that. Oh, there yeah. we go. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's kind of my jam. <laughs> so uh, why is the Supreme Court threatening us? Or yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I think after... After white Christian nationalism, the the Supreme Court is the greatest threat to American democracy. Mm -hmm. This Supreme Court, I should say. Right. It's those two things are are tied together. I mean, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think probably one of the first things that people need to realize is that the Supreme Court is not what you were taught Mm -hmm. in school. Right. Um, You know, like. It, the Supreme Court is not this impartial group of jurists that are carefully working to determine the meaning of a constitutional provision without bias. Um, and, and the reason it's not is because the court has been packed. The court has been captured. Um, and I'll go over this kind of quickly, but if people yeah. want to dive into it more, definitely pick up a copy of American Crusade. Yeah, yeah. And you're, you're seeing a lot more of what I wrote about in American Crusade hitting the news now, like at least these ethics scandals and the corruption that we're seeing. So Leonard Leo is kind of universally recognized as the guy who orchestrated the hostile takeover of the Supreme Court. And a former employee described Leonard Leo's mission like this, quote, Leo figured out 20 years ago that conservatives had lost the culture war. There's that stupid phrase. Culture war. Back to the quote. Abortion, gay rights, contraception. Conservatives didn't have a chance if public opinion prevailed, so they needed to stack the courts. Mm. Okay, so that's what they set out to do. And just pay attention. Like, Notice that that is an, an admittedly anti-democratic goal, right? If, if they don't stack the courts, majority would rule. Like, yeah. if, they, if they don't stack we don't the want courts, that. democracy would work. Like, we, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and this goes this goes back to to what we were talking what, what we began talking about that that to our why right mm-hmm. to the to the rising equality and the waning supremacy of this particular group that is motivating this crusade, and we know that overall Leonard Leo's various front groups spent at least five hundred and forty million dollars packing the court from twenty fourteen to twenty twenty. And so that's that's from the time of Scalia dying mm. and Obama nominating Merrick Garland to take his seat and then uh, Mitch McConnell blocking that nomination mm. from even getting a hearing all the way through. So through you get you get Trump putting Gorsuch on, putting Kavanaugh on and then through shotgunning Amy Coney Barrett right. onto the court. And look, you don't spend half a billion dollars to get an impartial court like you that you yeah. you don't do that you they bought a court and, mm-hmm. and if you need more evidence of this leo's job during that time he was described as the quote monitor of the nominees that means judicial nominees that's the people who are going to be right. put right. on the bench the monitor of the nominees ideological purity the monitor of the Oof. nominees ideological so icky. yeah and also all told leo is responsible for the confirmation of john roberts who's chief justice sam alito gorsuch kavanaugh and barrett right so that that's five votes on a nine-member supreme court thomas 
Clarence Thomas is an old friend of Leo's. All six of them are or were members of the Federalist Society, which is the group um, Leo ran. So right. that's six votes on the Supreme Court. And Leo personally chose five of them for their ideology. And it's this crusader ideology that I detail in the book. God damn it. And yeah. there's, there's no, well, I don't know about today. I don't think so today, but um, there's no ethics committee, right? To like oversee all of this, right? They're Correct. like run free. They can do whatever, yes. whatever they want, sort of. Essentially, yes. So there are binding disclosure rules mm -hmm. on the justices, um, but they're unlike every other federal judge in the country. There, there is no binding ethics rules that uh, apply to Supreme Court justices that have any teeth. Right? There's, mm. there's nothing you can do if, you, if yeah. you catch them doing these things, which is one of the problems. The other yeah. problem that we know of is that we know impeachment is supposed to be a check on any political official or appointee or government official. Well, we know and, how that worked out. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, I, uh, like that, like that's an important, it's a really important, it's a political check and yeah. it doesn't work. Like if you think about the political capital that the Republicans spent to right. put those three people on the court and the half a billion dollars that Leo and his group spent, like mm -hmm. the idea that they're, they would turn around and impeach any one of them I mean, we like just recall, like just pause yeah. to remember Brett Kavanaugh's hearings yeah. and him screaming so at tentacle. Democrats, promising that Democrats were going to reap the whirlwind, right? Like promising revenge. And like, of course, they're not going to impeach any of these justices, no matter right. what they do. They're doing what they were supposed to do, right? Yeah. They were put on the court to hand victories to the conservative legal movement to check every one of those boxes right voting rights act gutted check Ooh. roe versus wade gutted check destroy the separation of church and state check mm. like that, that they're doing what they were put there to do right uh how how do we fix that how what what can we like what's the start of fixing that or hoping to fix that yeah in your opinion <laughs> yeah i mean that's a, it's a that's the question of our time i think what would the ideal model look like mm. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a couple different things, um, and there's a lot of solutions out there, and I do go through some of them in the book. I mean, that mm -hmm. you've you've heard of some of them, right? Like right now, our justices have lifetime appointments. Yes, um, yes, and no and that made that it made sense way back at the founding for a couple of reasons, right? Because nobody actually wanted the job back then. Like if you go look at some of the old the, the first Supreme Court justices, they were only on there for like a few years. They're like, ah, this is terrible. <laughs> this is really. And they were, they were old. And so they were, nobody was staying in the job for like three, five, 10 years at most. That kind of mm -hmm. changes, like mostly with John Marshall, um, who really sort of altered the court in really fundamental ways. But it made sense because what they were trying to do was give the judiciary some independence, not make them beholden mm -hmm. to one of the other branches so that they could actually have the independence to decide these questions on the basis of what the constitution says and means, right? Like mm -hmm. it makes, that makes theoretical sense. Um, but it doesn't make sense now because we're nominating these people to these positions when they're 50 years old and they could be there for 40 years. Right. Um, and the, the, it's a different, it's a much different court. It's a more powerful court. The problem is that the constitution itself says that judges keep their, office during good behavior basically is the phrase which wow. has been interpreted to mean lifetime appointments mm -hmm. so if you were to pass a law that says okay you no longer have a lifetime appointment the people who are going to be interpreting 
the validity of that law are the justices themselves. <laughs> now, there are some creative ways that people have come up with to get around that, which would be to say, like, okay, you're still a justice on the court, but you have to take senior status, meaning mm. you don't get to decide as many cases mm. and things like that. Yeah. Um, so there are some creative ways that we could talk about doing that. But it, ultimately, if the, if the yeah. judges, if the justices themselves are going to be deciding the question, I think we all know where they're going to come down or yeah. where they would want to come down. Also, what so, about expanding the, the amount of judges? Mm. Expanding, the amount, expanding the amount of justices is, I think, the way to go. Um, okay. it, you only need uh, an act of Congress to do that. It's just like any other bill. Any other law that you would need to pass, okay? Mm, but okay. It does, that does mean filibuster is an issue. But theoretically, if you could do it and the president signed it, you could add four justices tomorrow. Oh, wow. Um, you okay. could add 14 justices tomorrow. Um, now, the, the, the always the thing you hear is, well, if you do that, then the Republicans will turn around and then they'll add more. And then it just becomes this race to the top. But let's, so let's talk about that for a second because... <laughs> First of all, that already happened, okay? They already yeah. passed the court. So we, we are already in a position where Mitch McConnell lowered the size of the court down to eight when it fit his political ends. It was at eight for a year and a half when it suited Mitch McConnell's political ends. And then he moved it back up to nine. They changed the size of the court so that they could pack it, okay? The court has already been packed. So the question is, do we let that political capture of an institution that is supposed to be independent stand or do we do something about it and right. i think we have to do something about it yeah. so right. let's say you expand it and add four justices okay and then let's say that happens again and the republicans do and then you're in this back and forth who the fuck cares mm -hmm. if, if there are 51 justices on that court every one of them has less power every yes. future justice that yeah. is added to the court means less mm. it's a miserable working environment maybe you would get some of them to actually retire <laughs> right like, <Force> them out. <laughs> i mean honestly like, yeah. mm. and and we can even be a, a little more pointed my entire life lawyers have been arguing at the supreme court to one justice it was sandra day o'connor everybody mm. directed their argument to her for before I was a lawyer. And then it was Anthony Kennedy and everybody directed their argument because they were the swing justices. And that was where you, you argued your case because you knew there was four on this side and four on this side, and you might get the person in the middle. Gotcha. And now there, there is no swing justice now. Um, and that, that's not the way the court should work. Right. right. So get, get, put 21 people on there. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's nothing magical about the number nine. And right now, whatever issue you care about, whatever progressive policy solution you care about, whatever rights you care about that are being taken away, whether you want to fix globe, the global climate crisis, whether you want to solidify LGBTQ rights and marriage equality, mm -hmm. whether you want to pass something like the Women's Health Protection Act, right, which yes. would undo the undoing of Roe versus mm -hmm. Wade, right? Like, all any of those things that you can do are going to end back up in front of this Supreme Court. So you can spend all the political capital in the world to pass the Women's Health Protection Act and recover essentially Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. But what happens when three days later, some asshole in Texas challenges that before Matthew Cax Merrick or Judge Reed O'Connor, and it goes right up the pipeline right back to the Supreme Court. 
Like you're going to spend all that political capital. And in a year, it's going to be right back before the same judges who were chosen to overturn Roe versus Wade. Do you think yeah. they're not going to decide? Like we, we the, the court, the court, fixing the court is a prerequisite to anything else we want to do. Yes. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, so, so you currently work for Americans United, right? Yes, Americans so what, United for separation of church. for separation of church and state. So, yeah. I was going to say, so what do they do? <laughs> That's what they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We fight to keep church and state separate every day uh, in the public. I love it. Public sphere in the in the courts of public opinion. I mean, in legislatures all across the country. Brilliant team of lawyers, an amazing policy team. Um, you know, we, I mean, this it really is a fantastic organization. It's been around for seventy five years. Um, oh, one of the, yeah, one of the really interesting things about it is that it really it brings together uh, religious people and non-religious people to defend oh. the separation of church and state for everybody. Um, really? So, interesting. Yeah, so it's a really interesting like place to work. They do a phenomenal job of building these bridges. Um, you know, we brought this really interesting suit, uh, lawsuit in Missouri. Mm -hmm. So Missouri was one of the states, right? Um, that had a ban in place and that had passed recently, um, an abortion ban for when Roe was overturned. And the legislators wrote into the law, Almighty God is the author of life. And they said all the, they said all the quiet parts out loud during, yeah. <laughs> during their debates. They yeah. said things like, my God doesn't give us a choice in this. And being from the biblical side of it, da, 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 da. and Psalms 119 says Oh my this. God. I don't understand why like, they don't automatically get kicked the fuck out the second they mention any, like, their God. Like, isn't that the whole fucking point? Just You're, We're supposed to have a separation of church <laughs> like, and state. So <laughs> AU sued arguing that that abortion ban violates the separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. Not that it violates people's religious freedom and they get an exemption, mm -hmm. but that the entire ban has to be struck down because it violates everybody's religious freedom because it violates the separation of church and state. And so we have, uh -huh. as our plaintiffs, there's 14 different clergy members from seven different denominations oh. who are the plaintiffs who are challenging this abortion ban. Oh, wow. Which is like, yeah. So it's a really fascinating case that you would like, nobody would expect to be brought and got a ton of news coverage because of it. And it's, um, this is just kind of remarkable. Yeah. So we're, we're in the middle of litigating that one right now, but that gives you a flavor of the kind of things in America. Mm, it's freaking does. awesome. I'm on the website right now and I, it says the Missouri abortion bans lawsuit. Is there, what other cases are you guys like big things you're working on? So we have a couple of really interesting um, cases involving discrimination. Mm. Um, so taxpayer funded discrimination. And so this is, um, let me give you the example in Tennessee, the Root and Rams. Uh, Liz and Gabe are a couple in Tennessee. They wanted to adopt a child, had a child. They were going through this process and they went to work with one of the local adoption agencies. It's a taxpayer funded agency uh -huh. that's also... Uh, out of, you know, it's effectively a, a religious organization, evangelical organization. And they said, wait, you're Jewish? Oh, we're not going to work with you. Oh, whoa, whoa. Oh. <laughs> they refused to work with, they refused to serve this Jewish couple because of their religion. And they did it with your taxpayer dollars. Jeez. 
And so, the, I mean, and they're claiming that they have the religious freedom right to do that, but they're taking our, your taxpayer dollars to do so. So we're suing them. We have another case that's almost identical mm -hmm. where an evangelical foster care agency refused to work with a Catholic woman because she was Catholic. <laughs> um, we also are in a couple of uh, cases um, involving, uh, so Shelley Fitzgerald is a case that we're going to be arguing soon. Um, mm -hmm. She was a guidance counselor at a Catholic school Mm -hmm. um, and the Catholic school found out that she was married to a woman. Oh. And they basically mm -hmm. said, um, you can divorce the love of your life oh. or we're going to fire you. And she oh. refused. Oh. Um, she, I was going to say she divorced. Just kidding. <laughs> no. She, no. she so did they, not they, divorce. They, they, they fired her. Um, That's and so up, she man. sued. Yeah, so she sued. And they're claiming, they're claiming basically, no, you were a minister and therefore we can hire and fire you at will, even though she Whoa. was not, she had no ministerial duties. And this is actually like a really, this is something, it sounds really like boring when you talk about it. Like this is called the ministerial exception. That's what courts call it. But what it really is about is about whether anybody who works at a religious organization whether they're doing, you know, a, a, whether they happen to be a nurse at a Catholic hospital or mm -hmm. a janitor at a Christian school or whatever, um, has rights, civil rights or not. I mean, that's effectively what these cases are about, because what the other side is arguing is if we say you're a minister, you are. If we give you any nominally religious duty, we can hire and fire you at will. If we put these things in your... Um, uh job description whether you do them or not we can hire and fire you at will and you can see where they're trying to go with it right like if you think back to the hobby lobby case oh. you can see where they want to take this they want to take right. this to the place where every religious company business out there no longer has to follow civil rights laws that's what they're really yeah. aiming for and you've seen them come at it from the other direction with things like the masterpiece cake shop case that came out of colorado and stuff like yeah. that so yeah. So really, I mean, we're at the we're at the heart of like so many of these fights, uh, doing our best to 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 fight back. Yeah. Wow. How so, how how long are these like um, cases go for? Like roughly. Long like, time. Yeah. Long time. Yeah, yeah. Some of these cases drag on for quite a while. Um, and you know, another case that we're we're working on, uh, it's, it's similar. Uh, it's Tucker, uh, yeah. at a col out of Colorado, actually worked at a Christian school. Um, and uh, he adopted uh, a black daughter and realized how rampant the racism was at his Christian school Ooh. after he adopted uh, this, this, his daughter. And really gross, terrible racism. Jeez. Like calling him an N-word father and an N-word lover because he adopted this daughter. Kids, kids wearing KKK hoods, uh, posting all kinds of awful stuff on social media. Where I mean, was this? Been, what, what state? In Colorado. I mean, you've been Wait. on the internet. You know what it was like, right? Holy crap. Um, Where and in Colorado? So, Dude. You... In, in one of the suburbs of Denver. So he, oh, puts, okay. on, he puts on an anti-racism assembly. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh. so to be like hey this is important stuff that that we you all need to learn about and it goes over really well um the administration thanks him except the parents of some of those kids get pissed off and effectively effectively get him fired that's essentially what happens oh my god and so he turns around and says well you you fired me for 
teaching about racism that is not allowed under the civil rights act that's called retaliation for and and so he sues and they're doing the same thing there they're saying well you're a minister so you don't have civil rights under the civil rights act we're gonna we can hire and fire you at will what the fuck man yeah yeah and so we're representing him. Mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, we also have, we have another case uh, of an atheist. Uh, this is also out of Colorado who um, he was throw He was in jail. He was out on parole and his parole officer forced him to go into, I'm oversimplifying this a little bit, but mm. basically a halfway house that was very Christian. It was mm. Like you have to participate in prayers. You have to do Bible study, about all that kind one. of stuff. Yeah, this is unfortunately not an uncommon story. Yeah. Um, is it American he, atheist involved in this one, or is this yeah, a they, they have a they have a different okay. one like this? Oh, unfortunately, wow. this is like a common. It's, it's story. so oh. common. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was something like that. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And so he said, "Well, I don't want to do that." And so they threw him back in jail. His parole officer <gasps> violated him and threw him back in jail for exercising his constitutional rights. So we're representing him and working to get that. This is Dude. just a small taste of some of the cases. <laughs> Yeah, we have, and so we you're have a busy guy. <laughs> it's like we are, we are your sanity. Busy. How do you keep it? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's a lot of work. Um, you know, I mean, our the attorneys over there are amazing. I now I'm not litigating those cases anymore, which is a relief. I get to go do fun things like this, talk to y'all, go to the American Atheist Convention. I do a lot more of the communications side of talking about oh, these cases awesome. now, and writing about them in books and magazines and that that kind of stuff now. So. Yeah. Um, okay. you know, it's, it's hard to talk about the ministerial exception in a way that people get and lawyers tend to be pretty bad at that. Um, mm, so yeah. I, it's one of the things I'm a little bit, um, I'm at least decent at. So I spend a lot of time doing that these days. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what should religious freedom look like? That's a fantastic question. Yeah. Um, and this is something I talk about a lot in American Crusade. Right. Because to me, one of the striking things about all of the cases that we're seeing before the Supreme Court right now, um, over the last decade, these, these, if you listen to the media and if you listen to the other side, these, these really difficult questions of religious freedom and where do we draw the line, they're not hard. They're super easy cases to figure out, like really basic and you can decide most of these cases by focusing on three lines. And if you think about those three lines, they, I think, define religious freedom. Okay. So the first line is you draw a distinction between action and belief. Okay. Right. So your right to believe is absolute. In fact, it's probably the only absolute right that we have under our Constitution. You right. can think whatever the fuck you want. Right. <laughs> you we can't control I mean? that, right? We yep. can't control what you believe. Yep. You, you believe whatever you want. Like if, like, if you think Jesus is saying he wants to take the wheel, you can believe it. <laughs> if you act on it, though, mm. if you act on it, though, that's a different story. Yes. Um, and so we draw a distinction between action and belief. And at some point when you act, it's okay for the government to step in and say, nope, can't, can't do that, right? Let You let go of the wheel of your car going down the highway at 80 miles an hour. The government can say, no, you, we are going to take away your license for that, right? Yeah. Like, we're, we're going to give you a ticket at the very, like, you know, right. th- that's okay. It makes sense to everybody. Even the so-called religious freedom groups that are out there on the other side of these cases, none of them are yet arguing that any of the people who think Jesus needs to take mm. the wheel have a religious freedom right to do that. 
So action and belief. So the question then is, okay, if the government can step in and say, no, 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 on certain actions, well, then where on certain actions? Mm-hmm. Like, what wh- what is an action that is okay versus one that's not okay? And the answer to that is, where are the rights of other people begin? Mm-hmm. Okay, so your right to swing your fist ends at the other person's nose. You've all heard that phrase before or some variation of it. Mm-hmm. Your right to exercise your religion ends where the rights of other people begin, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You're driving down the highway, you're risking everybody else's health and safety by doing that, right? That's not just you. If on the other hand, your religion says that you have to have a beard of a certain length, that's not affecting anybody else. Grow, grow right. on, right? right? Um, no big deal. But never in our history have we allowed religion to be a license to harm or violate the rights of other people. And that is primarily the thing that we are seeing change before this Supreme Court. It's a gray area now. It's like, it's, it, it's not only a gray muddy. area. In fact, it's, it's we, are, we, if you are a Christian, especially if you are a conservative Christian, that allows you to impose your religion onto other people. And right. we, we, we are, in fact, not just going to allow you to do that. We're going to force other people to carry the burden of your religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that's one of the big things that we are seeing change. But, but mm-hmm. those two lines are the first two. And the third one is also pretty easy. It's the separation of church and state. Yep. And this is, you have religious freedom, but that doesn't mean that if you, for instance, occupy a public office, that you get to use the power of that office to promote your personal religion or to impose your personal religion on other people. You can still have the free exercise of religion as Mr. Baphomet. It's an individual, right? Mm-hmm. But as Coach Baphomet, who's <laughs> responsible for other people's children, you don't get to impose your religion on them. You don't get to abuse yeah. the power of your office, right? And those are historically where we've drawn the three lines. And they answer all the questions in all of these cases in the way they should have been answered. Mm-hmm. Except this court is just shredding everything we've known about religious freedom law. We've often spoken yeah. in the law of religious freedom as a shield, Right. As it's the thing that allows all of us to be here, godless heathens and, and blasphemers and all right. that fun stuff. Right. It's also what allows Christians to be Christians and Jews to be Jews and the nuns, N-O-N-E-S or N-U-N-S to, to do those things. Right. Mm-hmm. Like okay. that. It's it's a protection for each of us against government overreach. But now we're seeing the Supreme Court morph that shield into a sword, into literally a weapon that the right kind of conservative Christian can use to impose their religion on everybody else. And if you want to understand that better, this is where you go. Yeah, let's talk about your books. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, hey, look at that. I didn't realize it had so many ratings. That's nice. Oh, let's go through each and every one. (laughs) 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 People do send me the one review, the one star review. The one star review. And they're like, dude, like one of them is like, some guy's like, you're missing pages in your auto. Kindle book, and it's like, no, dude. And what, like, thanks for leaving a one star review on that. Like, it's a that's a tech problem, man. Like, it's like people who leave a review on on an item. And it's all about shipping. It's like that. Right. What are you? No, don't do that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, Could yeah, um, yeah. So this is my first book, "The Founding Myth: Why Christian Nationalism Is Un-American." So, if you've ever heard that we are a Christian nation, if you've ever heard that we're one nation under God and in God we trust, and that the Ten Commandments were the basis of we're American not. law, <laughs> and all of that stuff, 
and it pisses you off and you want to know how to actually argue in ways that you will win the argument, not only because you have every one of the facts cited to original sources, but also because you have better arguments, this is the book for you. And if that doesn't sell you, Greg Locke, that crazy Christian preacher. I, I would like to know what it's like having a book burn, uh, <laughs> book burned by Greg Locke. Like, it was very strange. Uh, <laughs> it was super strange. So, I mean, first of all, it was so performative, right? Like he, right. He, oh, set yeah. ca- he set up a camera and then he got a blowtorch, a blowtorch. <laughs> but it's like, it's very, it's, it's a very bizarre feeling because you know, I, I put 10 years of my life into this book. Like I yeah. worked mm-hmm. so hard on it. Um, you know, it, it it's footnoted and cited um, in a way that makes it bulletproof. Like I paid two of the like most bulldog detail oriented attorneys I know at wow. different stages of writing it, mm-hmm. a bounty, a bounty for every error oh. that they could find in me quoting somebody or mm-hmm or quoting a founding father. And and I was generous. Like, if you think that I misconstrued the quote or I misquoted them or I wasn't fair to them in the full context, like that counts and you get the bounty, right? And like, I did that at two different stages of, mm-hmm. of writing. And that's just like, that was before it even got to the publisher for the fact check. Like, wow, that's how intense I was about doing this. And then this guy just comes along and just like burns it with, a blowtorch uh-huh. but then there's also like all the other this was before we were in the book banning phase that we're mm. in right now but it's still like i mean you've we've all seen the videos of the nazis burning the books and right. it's like really, yeah, really right. hard not to like to not it feels different when it's the thing that you've spent so much time and effort mm. and and he wanted to debate me and i was like yeah dude if you i'll debate you if you read the book like I know everything you're going to argue. And I already answered literally Literally. every one of the arguments you're going to raise. So like, I haven't seen Uh, much point. Yeah. And, and instead he burned it. Shit. Yeah. It's such a coward. It's a coward. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so he, he bought the book and then burned it. No. So this was, this is actually really fast. So it came up, um, um, this is the, the long version of the story. I was working at the freedom from religion foundation at Mm. the time. And, I had it was I was watching um, I believe it was the 2018 um, the debates for the 2018 elections the the midterms um, and there was an ad for I don't remember it might not have been 2018 but there was there was do you remember this movie that came out there was a it was, it was rich people hunting poor people the Hunger Games. It, it was not the Hunger Games. It was like that, but it was like actually like hunting them. And it was like, I think played, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember what it's called, but they, uh, so they played this ad mm-hmm. during the debate and everybody on Twitter was talking about it. Like it went oh. crazy. And so much so people were like, what the fuck is that? That the, the, that uh, the movie got like postponed. Oh, like, oh. It, like they buried the release of the movie and they, they like, it didn't come out for like a year and a half. And Ooh. I was like, I was like, so I went to, I went to FFRF and I was like, we should run an ad during the next debate. And I guarantee you Twitter and social media will like light up talking about it, convince them to do it. So I'm on Twitter waiting for this to happen Mm -hmm. when the time comes and it happens. And Greg Locke is one of the people who starts mouthing off about the commercial. 
And so I kind of got into it with him and I don't remember how the conversation evolved, but he did some Christian nationalist claim. And I was basically mm-hmm. like, nobody, like you're very wrong. And if you want, I'll send you a copy of my book. And he said like, go, yeah, go ahead. Like, okay. yeah. and I wrote a note in it, um, wow. like a very, I mean, it was made, like, it was a little bit of like, uh, there's a little bit of sauce in the note. Okay, all right. Passive aggressive. <laughs> I mean, no, you're a much better aggressive. person than I would, would have been. There's a little bit of heat. Wow. But, um, so you like, provided him with the book. Yeah. A signed copy. <laughs> yeah. Not. Um, though I will say it paid dividends. Like that. The, mm. the three days after that were better than the opening uh, weekend of the book. book there you in terms go. Of sales. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so the other book that you have, the most recent one, mm-hmm. it's American Crusade, How the Supreme Court is Weaponizing Religious Freedom. Uh, yeah. This one came out uh, last year, not too long ago, September. Yeah, just, yeah, just a couple months ago. That's freaking awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one is, you know, every case that's happened in the last 10 years that you've heard about, um, uh-huh. the, the cross, the huge oh, cross the cake cases, shop. There's the, the cake, cake shop, shop case. Yeah. That's the that's probably the chapter that I'm the most proud of really? um, in that the the entire book, yeah. Because for a couple of reasons, but one of them is that no matter what you have heard about that case, mm-hmm. no matter what you think you know about it, you do not know. Or let me put it a different way: some of what you know mm-hmm. is disinformation. Okay. Uh, the the other side was so 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 successful at crafting and selling a erroneous false narrative of that case, like literally peddling disinformation. Mm-hmm. Right this this was the case of a bigoted bakery, a business, yep, de- denying Charlie and Dave service because of who they are, de- and denying them service in violation of a civil rights law state civil rights law like um so first is whatever you think you know about that case i promise you some of it is disinformation that's one reason it's my favorite chapter the the other one is because you know or the second reason i guess i should say is is that Mm -hmm. it's different from a lot of the other modern cases that are brought by the the poor persecuted christians um or that were challenges to church state violations that don't really have a particular victim because Charlie and Dave were the victims of this like truly vile discrimination. And, yeah. and they, they put a face on the weaponization of religious freedom that I talk about in the book in a way that the other cases can't. And, you know, they trusted me with their story over many hours of interviews. Um, and this was during the height of COVID, right? They spent like hours on the phone wow. with me. Wow. And I was, the, I was the only writer or journalist to speak to them um since the furor of the the initial decision when it was decided in 18 kind of died down um and you know it was one of the i mean it's one of the great honors of my life is was telling their story and them trusting me with it but but they they also weren't the only victims in in the story right they were the victims of the discrimination in that Mm -hmm. case but the supreme court also victimized a couple other people in that case so um the supreme court was asking or excuse me, the crusaders in that case, the Christian nationalists in that case, were asking the Supreme Court 
for a license to discriminate under the First Amendment. And the justices really couldn't give them that in this case for a couple reasons, um, largely because Charlie and David faced and suffered such blatant bigotry, right? Their story, their faces actually helped prevent the justices from doing this. Mm -hmm. um, instead, what the justices did was ignore a lot of facts and a lot of precedent. And then they manufactured, they just created this hostility against it. this poor persecuted Christian bakery. And in doing so, they lied. I mean, they, they invented the bakery. So what, what, the, what the justices actually said, and I, I know people don't remember this, they, they said that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, which is charged with upholding the state civil rights law, committed bigotry against the bakery and the justices name named in, in fact they singled out two commissioners for their hostility towards the bakery's christianity um this the united states supreme court effectively called raju jairam and diane rice bigots and and that is how history is going to remember them right the justices scapegoated wow two thoughtful civil servants, destroying their reputation, destroying their service in the eyes of an entire country, in the eyes of history. Um, and, you know, like what, so Commissioner Raju Jairam mm -hmm. quoted a New Mexico Supreme Court opinion to decide the dispute between the bakery and this couple, mm -hmm. right? This is an opinion that Ruth Bader Ginsburg quoted in her Hobby Lobby dissent, but the conservative justices on the court said that this was, quote, inappropriate and dismissive, showing a lack of due consideration for Phillips, that's the bakery owners, mm -hmm. free exercise rights and the dilemma he faced. They said that about him for quoting <sighs> a legal opinion. Can't believe that. Right, like, like it actually, what that actually shows is a full and careful consideration of this guy's garbage religious, garbage religious freedom arguments. Mm -hmm. um, and, so both Raju and Diane also agreed to tell me their stories for the book. Um, and when I was on tour for American Crusade at an event in Denver, mm -hmm. uh, a man stood up uh, in, during the Q&A session after I did the book talk to ask about the court <clears throat> and what we could do about it. Basically, the first question that you asked, Mel. And I answered his question in part, <clears throat> let me try to get through this, by telling the story of Raju Jairam to the audience, by, mm -hmm. by vindicating his name in their eyes and for anybody who picks up the book. And then I, I told the audience that the person who asked that question was that very same thoughtful civil servant. It was Raju Jairam. Um, <sighs> And they gave him a standing ovation. You know, this is this is this guy who is he knows he's gonna be remembered for all history as a bigot. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, I got to talk to him afterwards and I gave him a copy of the book and he said, I mean, he must have said thank you to me just like over and over and over again. It was just like it was one of the finest things I think I've ever been able to do because yeah. You know, Anybody who reads this will know what really happened. Um, and our Supreme Court did that. God damn it. Go, go get yourself a copy. Yes, of that please book. do. Oh, my. Wow. 
Um, can they say. get a signed copy from your website, right? Um, the so I was doing with with a local bookstore signed copies for a while that okay. um, isn't available anymore. But I'm I'm happy to do that for folks. Like I, if you ever see me, I go to conferences and conventions all the time. Yeah. I was just in Minnesota. I just did American Atheists. You know, I'm going to be at Secular Student Alliance conference um, in nice June. Um, I, I'm never, I will always sign a book for anybody who wants it. I'm happy to do that, but there's no like easy way to get one right now. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of where else I'll be. I'm going to be at Chautauqua in August. Uh, I'll be at the FFRF convention in October. Okay. I'm sure there's some other things going on, but yeah. 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 Well, busy, gosh. busy guy. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah. So I have one kind of like a last question for you. I'm super curious. Mm -hmm. um, when I was definitely not copying and pasting from your <laughs> YouTube, um, you, it says Grand Canyon tour guide. Yeah. So I like, what? <laughs> That's yeah. awesome verse. But like, is, was, is there like a favorite spot you like to show people or oh. like, what what Wait, was your favorite part of it? A tour guide are, are you current? No, are no, you? <laughs> no, I'm not okay. currently a tour guide. Okay. I, I was a Grand Canyon tour guide. That's okay. awesome. <laughs> so it was after after college, before law school, I was a Grand Canyon tour guide okay. for about a year and a half or so. Um, yeah, I mean, it was an amazing experience. I, yeah, I bet. Like, um, I'll so probably my favorite spot. There's a couple. There's so many, but the, one of the coolest spots that I think were like really really will blow your fucking mind is um down near the bottom of the canyon there's several places where there's these different layers of rock mm -hmm. and there's a particular formation called the great unconformity okay mm -hmm. and basically the lower layer of rock more than a billion years old been there for a long time layers built up on top of that washed away built up on top of that washed away that was because built, of the flood right because of noah's flood yes correct. yeah i built up on top of it <laughs> so there's there's a place where you can put your hand so you're spanning uh you're touching this rock that's billions of years old and then much younger rock on top that's of so it cool. and so your hand is spanning more than a billion years of earth's yeah. history Wow. Like that's the difference in age between the two rock layers. And like you stand so, there with your hand doing that. And like it's 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 the pale blue dot, right? It's like it's mm. we are so small. Yeah. And like tiny. Yeah. And like, I mean, it, it's a magical, like really amazing experience. Um you, you, and you you can't get that many all, places. All of that with for six thousand years. That's amazing. Yeah, that's know. amazing. Because <laughs> Earth is only six thousand years old, right? I like, know. It just makes yeah. me so sad. It's like, like we have literal proof. <laughs> like, it's not just that we have proof. Or like, it's like it's wrong. It's like this is so much more yeah. amazing and like so much more awe-inspiring than what you you think yeah. you have. And much more creative. Yeah, yeah. I think but what's creative is having dinosaurs at the. Ark encounter. <laughs> That's creative shit. The most creative part of the Ark encounter was the display <laughs> they have um, trying to explain what they did with all the animal shit. <laughs> if you've not yeah, if you've not seen that, I'm sure I might have even put a video up about this like way back when. Oh my god. It's, it's amazing. It's like 
if if I recall correctly, and I may not recall this all, it's been a long time. Mm. If I recall correctly, they treat it as though they're like, here's how it could have worked. And oh. basically it's like a, a plumbing system and it's like <laughs> as though it's it's like as though it were a stationary house. Like yeah. except that it was on a boat on the worst storm ever. Like it's not just <laughs> gravity's gonna take it down the boat's going like this the boat's going like this <laughs> oh like God. i don't think you, you're thinking this through things don't just go down in situations <laughs> like that they come back up oh, yeah. oh my yeah. god so to wrap yeah. it up uh what would you say is um a good way to be an activist i mean it varies oh. from person to person right but... yeah for sure i mean again i think it, that's a key point is everybody needs to do what what they're comfortable right. with doing but I, but i do think there is something that everybody can do um you could there's certainly something you can do um a couple things that i really think are worth doing are joining the free thought groups that appeal most to you if you can afford to join others even if they're like you know maybe not quite your bag but they're doing good work go for it support them like i mean we are in the fight of our lives right now we need all the help we can get um americans united is running a pledge right now we are calling for a national recommitment to the separation of church and state mm -hmm. and if people want to sign up for that thing go to au.org slash pledge uh, and we're actually laddering people up activism, um, giving them more and more things that they can do as they sign that pledge. Um, you should sign up for action alerts from those same groups in addition to, to donating to them. Um, if you if that's not something you're comfortable with, um, you know, uh, get involved in local politics, go to your school board. This is something the other side does a phenomenal job of. Yes. Um, if, if you are able to run for office. Mm -hmm. I think this is, I think our side has done such a poor job of cultivating people to run for office. And I think part of it is because we look, we think of what public officials should be, or maybe we think of like the West Wing, the TV show. Yeah. But like the reality, the reality is Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Right? Like, like, yeah. and, like, or Marjorie Taylor now. Right. Like, pe so people think, they're not qualified. What do, I, what do I know about running for office? What do I know about being on the school board? That is not something that stops the other side. Right. 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 Like, they, like, like, mm -hmm. like you it, look around at the state of American politics. You are qualified. If you are listening to this, if you're this far into this podcast, like you already have more interest. <laughs> oh, than go for educated. Um, and I mean, I do, th I do think. I do think that's a, that final piece, Mel, is mm -hmm. like what I was going to say is education. Like you have to educate yourself. I think you have to challenge Christian nationalism wherever you see it. It's not, this is what, I mean, the reason I wrote the founding myth is so that when you hear somebody say something like, oh, you know, uh, we are one nation under God, you know, the arguments that you can pivot to that are going to beat that back and, and what's going to actually yeah. work. Um, you know, it's, it's, you can't let that go unchallenged ever because that's how we end up in the situation that we're in. I mean, those, those are a few small things. The other thing I would just really encourage people to do is to temper your expectations. Again, mm. yep. not going to win any of this overnight. It's going to be a long fight. We're going to lose. It's not, it's not going to be this steady progression. It's going to be up and down and up and down and up and down, eventually getting there. Like stick with it. Don't give up. Don't give up the ship. Don't give up the fight. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Yes. Thank you so much, man. That's amazing.
My pleasure. So where can people find you? Uh, I'm Andrew L. Seidel on all the things. Um, <laughs> on, that's the website. That's the TikTok. That's the Twitter and the Instagram. And that's where I am on everything. YouTube, too. I think there's a one on my YouTube, but you'll, you'll find me. Yeah. 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 And if you really want to like <laughs> hang out more, I do. I have a Patreon. I re- I'm always reluctant to mention that I have a Patreon, but I do have a Patreon for. Uh, oh, shameless plug. Shameless plug. Yes, well, I mean, so I like, you know, like that. It's, I, I do. I wrote American Crusade on my right. Patreon. Patreon. Like, oh, in other okay. words, like I gave people excerpts while i was writing I, like every week as i was writing I'm like this is how many words i did this is what we have oh, wow. to do this is like and then like as i was going through the publishing process i'm like i got this round of edits back i cut this whole chapter out so here you guys can read it oh um, okay and then yeah. I, yeah i do monthly hangs zoom hangs that i call libations and conversation where we just have a drink and you're uh, much more organized than we are <laughs> I mean, that's about the excitement. I like it. I like it. I'm exhausted by it. So that's it. Yeah. Andrew's Avengers, Captain. I love it. And maybe there's a god. There's nobody nobody at that level. So (laughs) So there's no god. Until then. (laughs) I like that marketing. (laughs) I like it. So, yeah, well, thank you bye. so much for for taking the yes. time to talk to thank us, you. us little people. No, it was my pleasure. <laughs> I, I love doing this stuff. You know, I I really think anybody that wants to be involved in this fight, um, you know, I, I'm more than happy to lift them up. This is a our movement needs to be a rising tide that lifts everybody up. Um, so yeah. that we, can, yes. we can fight this back together. So that's and if you ever want to chill on a cool podcast and just not talk about any of what we just talked about, we can talk about anything you want. We are we are here. So I, I can nerd out on Grand Canyon for yes, yeah, a whole fucking episode of the Grand Canyon. Hell yeah, I'm here for it. Oh, yeah. I still yeah. have I still have all my old notes from my tour guiding days, like where I would give. That's like, cool. Here's where I'd give my geology talk, and here's where I'd give my animal life talk, and here's where I'd give my talk about all the people that have fucking died in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like this one. There's this one dude who um, there's some hallucinogenic plants down there, and one Ooh. of the flowers is called Sacred Datura, which is like a member of the nightshade family. Oh shit! This guy was like. Oh, I took, he took some. He's like, oh, I can walk on water. Fucking, <laughs> fucking walked out into a rapid. No. Yeah, yeah. Never seen again. Yeah. Died. Yeah. Oh, my uh, God. Um, man. Here's another uh, fun. Here's another fun Grand Canyon fact. Oh, no. The Grand Canyon is the reason we have the FAA. No way. Really? Yeah. yeah. Because pilots used to like detour and turn and let people get views of the canyon. And two oh, planes no. collided over the Grand Canyon. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was such a popular spot. So they created the FAA, and they're like, All right, "We're gonna like do flight plans and stuff, so people can't do that anymore." <laughs> yeah. Let's get organized. Yeah. Humans are gonna human, you know, yeah. like. Yeah. yeah. Oh my so, god! Can't do it. Well, I wanted to share a photo. Uh, this is another no. photo that, if you you probably don't know, uh, we took a funny, awkward photo shoot, Mel and I. <laughs> Uh, you know, with the flannels and the stupid glasses. Um, like what I'm wearing now, literally. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, that's stupid flannel, too. Just kidding. Like uh, so, so here we are, worshiping the Lord. Uh, 
Hanson. Oh, very, very nice. <laughs> yes, yes. We got to airbrush that. At our, In, yeah. Instead of amen, it's mbop, you know? <laughs> um, so. Oh, no. You, got, you, you definitely got like a youth pastor kind of thing. Right? Yeah. It's, it's like very youth pastor vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just threw up a little bit of my mouth. All right. <laughs> Yeah. Of it. Very nice. hey, don't go just yet. Um, uh, bef- so meaning like when we say goodbye, you know, <laughs> he's like, you know what? I'm out gone. See you. Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> um, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. So we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, we want to, of course, give a shout out to Recovering from Religion, yes. fantastic organization. Uh, for those of you who are deconstructed and need deconstructing, okay, English is my second language. Come on, or deconstructed. Uh, or they or or and you need yeah. a community yeah. and support. That's what they do. If you call the number 184-I-DOUBT-IT, 184-I-DOUBT-IT, they have volunteers standing by 24 hours. That's fucking awesome. Because, Such a great organization. Yeah. Uh, big shout out to Dr. Daryl Ray and Gail Jordan. Gail. Two of my favorite her. people. Yeah. Oh, they're She's so amazing. I fucking, she gives the best hugs. Like, literally. Yes. It's true. It's true. true. No, that's like, fucking that is... Her. That is a commandment. Gail it's factual Jordan. information. Yeah. yeah. Objective yeah. information. Facts. Uh, <laughs> and of course, we want to give a shout out. I'm sorry. We want to remind you that we have a merch store. If you go to the link in the description, if you know, you know. <laughs> There's cool shit. <laughs> Please don't forget to subscribe to our channel, smash the like button, and hit the notification bell so you don't miss any of our new episodes. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and sorry about last week. We didn't have an episode. Uh, it's Bass Fault. Not mine. Anyway, uh, we release episodes on Mondays as always, and they are still available as audio only if you prefer the format. But the fun is here in the YouTubes. So tubes of you come hither. (laughs) God damn it! Thanks for having uh, me on, y'all. Yeah, Uh, leave a voice message, please. God, Uh, no less than five star rating, please, and on Spotify. I mean, give us five stars. Also, so last episode we did uh, really quick. The question was how to handle a narcissist, right? So we and had we have an answer. We yeah. had an answer. Do, do, do. Here we are from Clarice Michelle. Limit contact with the narcissist and don't emotionally engage with them. Put your emotional energy into yourself. Hey, that I like good. that. Sounds yes. like good advice. Fuck yeah. yeah. I'm going to write good. that down to, to deal with you, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BethML666. Mine is at Maltrefitty and his is at BethMetal666. And of course, uh, we want to give a big shout out to our patron supporters. Mm. Patrons on Patreon. <laughs> we have Ron, our friend Atheist Chico, our friend Lynn, who gave us Parachute pa- Jesus. Parachute Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Evelyn, Will H, and Lisette M. Love Lisette so much. And also, we'd like to thank our OGs on Anchor, uh, Robin M and William N. Thank, thank you so you much. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes. All right. Yes. We shall release you. I'm sure you're very tired. <laughs> I'm hanging in there. <laughs> ready, right. you know, I'm ready, ready for the matrix. You are amazing, Andrew. We, we love you and yes. we appreciate Aww. you. Thank you. I appreciate the, the chance to come on and talk this stuff. Like I, yeah. I love it. The more people that are aware of this, the more like yeah. you know, I hate this country stuff. more now, thanks to you. But that's, that's <laughs> how it's been you. since I moved. <laughs> I've been damn. in the United States since 2001, and 
and yeah, I, I, I don't like it here that much, but yeah, today there's a... I hate it more. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, there's a James Baldwin quote that I'm not going to get quite right. James Baldwin mm. was just like fucking amazing, but he said, you know, I, I love this country. <laughs> and it's for that very reason that I reserve the right to criticize her endlessly. Exactly. Some, something like that. Yeah. So, boom. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, words All to right. live by. Yep. All right. Hell yeah. Thank you so much. And Thank you, friends. That is what the Lord wants. Amen. Amen. <laughs>